multiple attempts to get that down. We are fucking worldwide, y'all. I am reporting to you from Miami, Florida, where I have just moved into my new house. This is my new podcast space. I'm finally in my own fucking house. I did this move like a true fucking millennial. Everything was remote. I did the showing of the house on FaceTime. I signed the lease electronically. And got my internet appointment scheduled all on the computer from Mississippi. I felt like I was on top of my fucking shit. Um, But I was also very afraid to fly and to travel with Lydia, which is Madison's cat. But since Madison is at college, she is actually going to be my cat for now. Okay, I had to turn the AC off uh, so it didn't pick up on the sound. And now I'm hot as fuck, so I have to take my sweatshirt off. Okay, so the TSA lady was so fucking rude about inspecting the cat carrier. When she was done, I was like, I'm just going to kill that bitch with fucking kindness. I said, thank you so much. She didn't say shit. Then I said, oh, I really appreciate it. Still nothing. And then I said, I hope you have a wonderful day. And she goes, "Mm mm-hmm. God, man, some people really just want to be angry, but not your girl, and especially not on this flight. But I was stressed, so I took a half a Xanax, which really did the trick. Lydia also had her Xanax and was an absolute angel on the plane. I'm honestly so impressed with how well she traveled, and might I just say, Lydia loves the new house. Something pretty scary happened at the Miami airport when I landed. So after I got my bags, I was waiting for my Uber outside at arrivals in the in the rideshare pickup zone. My driver was taking a sweet ass time and I keep looking around the corner for his car because I'm convinced that the app is broken and he's just around the corner and not one mile away as reflected on the app. Well, I'm by myself and all of a sudden a black SUV like pulls up in front of me and this guy is driving and the windows are all down and he turns to me and he said, hey, hey, where are you going? I'll take you. Pretty friendly. Um, But I thought it was strange and I've never had anyone do that at the airport. Just pull up and say they'll take you wherever you want to go. That is not a taxi. I said to him that I already had a driver and that he was just around the corner. And then let me tell you... That man held eye contact for an uncomfortable amount of time and then held eye contact as he drove off and it was like he was angry at me for not taking him up on his ride offer. He also did not have a light up Uber sign in his car, which I thought was very odd. And I don't know this for a fact, but it felt like it was a trick and it felt like he was mad at me for not falling for his trick. But honestly, in a kidnapping situation, they would probably be so annoyed with me and just bring me back. My self-centered ass would be like, so what was it about me that made you choose me? Do y'all watch Housewives? Are y'all so cringed out by Bethany Frankel's weird crusade against Bravo? 
And they would be like, oh, we're taking you back. You're too much trouble. And honestly, they probably wouldn't even be able to get me because I'm a squirmy fucker. When I was at that summer camp in Italy, I tried to sleep in one day, even though that wasn't allowed. And they literally had two men carry me by my arms and legs out of my bed. Well, they didn't know where I came from, and they did not know that I knew how to get out of this grip James Carville Cajun style. And I started barrel rolling like an alligator and quickly fell to the ground and raced back to my bed. So that same technique would probably serve me in a kidnapping situation. So welcome to fucking Miami, bitch. I land and immediately almost get sex trafficked. But they didn't get me. There's a few things I've noticed about Miami thus far. Um, everyone is very attractive. You can feel like the hustle energy. Uh, I gotta step my game up. The road rage is kind of bad. Well, not really me. I've really tried to work on that. I've lived in New Orleans for 10 years and heard of several shootings due to road rage that ended in fucking death, which is no goddamn joke. So I've dialed back on my road rage because I used to be a very aggressive and vocal driver, but I have mellowed out. I'm like Zen Lindsay now, or like Zen Lin. So I made a left turn and it felt like the person in oncoming traffic sped up and then honked at me. But it is possible that I didn't make the turn fast enough. Uh, well, some of that old road rage came through me after that person honked and I was like, what the fuck, bitch? Then I remember I'm not in a position to be alienating people and I was like, oh, hi, I'm new here. Not like they could hear me or anything. Not only am I fresh to Miami, but I am fresh off Beyonce's Renaissance tour. It was literally everything and more. I was like a kid on Christmas morning and I got to share it with my daughter, Madison. It was so special because we were watching Beyonce and Blue Ivy dance to My Power from The Gift. And there's a point in the song where the choreography, where the two fist bump, and then me and Madison fist bumped at the same time, and it felt very fucking special. The outfits were a show by themselves, and I'm not talking about Beyonce's outfit, I'm talking about the fans. Beyonce asked her fans to wear silver, and let me tell you, the fans came to play. I have never seen such a large group of people understand the assignment so fucking well. It was like the Met Gala, or really, the Bay Gala. My only critique is that we got no collab. No Nikki as I predicted last episode, but I got something better. About midway during the show, Beyonce says to the audience, you are the one responsible for your own happiness. Now that's independence. When I tell you I almost fell out because that is exactly what I said as my rich bitch tip of the week in the episode that I recorded prior to attending the Beyonce concert. So, even though I got no surprise collab, I got universal validation. Me and Beyonce are on the same wavelength. There was no one I could even share it with because no one had even heard the episode that I recorded. So, that was just for me. That is something I would have never gotten from a surprise collab. And honestly, we didn't even need it. The show was amazing, it was lengthy, and the queen delivered. And she should have for how much those tickets cost. So as y'all know, I'm on some weird healing journey right now. Um, and it's really changing my tastes and things. A lot of shows are on the chopping block for me, which is shocking for me to say. And Southern Charm is one of them. 
I am sick of seeing 40-year-old men endlessly party and hook up with their friends' girlfriends. And Shep and Austin only pull so many girls because they are tall and financially sound. Change my mind. Women, for some reason, are like drawn to a fucking tall dude. But maybe that shouldn't be a criteria for a partner. Like, it's purely cosmetic and these tall dudes come with tall egos. But for some reason... When a tall dude walks in, women are like, who is that tall dude who just walked in who I want to climb like a tree? We should all work on that. Southern Charm has been on Bravo for nine seasons and Shep hasn't grown a bit. Craig, on the other hand, has. I would watch a spinoff show about Craig moving to New York City with Paige. Bravo, make that happen. And I just have to say, Pray for Taylor, y'all. She is on the Hot Mess Express. Poor thing. Is so heartbroken over Shep. But something bothered me in one of her solo interviews. I guess she's trying to be a promoter or like a sales rep for an alcohol brand. And she said in her interview, you know, Shep knew a guy who could get her a job and then says she quit her job last year to go travel with Shep around the world, which he asked her to do. And she was like, yeah, and now I don't have a job now. Thanks, Shep. No, 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 no. Boo-boo, you made that choice. You knew the consequences. You knew Shep and you knew all of his shenanigans. And you chose to quit your job anyways because you thought you were going to get married. And I don't blame you at all. But don't blame Shep when you made the choice to quit your job and travel around the world with your boyfriend. As Lisa Renna would say, own it. God, where's that bitch at? Okay, so we have new people on Southern Charm. We have Rod, who I generally like. Rod is interested in Olivia, romantically, who I'm ambivalent about. Like, what does she do with her time? Anyways, Rod takes Olivia out on a date where he brings her coffee and sandwiches from some shop. Olivia is gluten-free, so Rod goes to the store to get the kind of bread that Olivia eats and then brings that bread to the sandwich shop to make for his order. Wow, that is very thoughtful, but also like too desperado. Well, they are sitting on the bench eating their little Sammies, and I guess they are talking and flirting, and Rod just goes in for a fucking kiss. I mean, he just lays one right on Olivia's lips. She is visibly uncomfortable, but doesn't necessarily pull away. Uh, she seems like she is just like waiting for it to be over. So this scene brought up a really interesting question. Should someone ask their romantic interest permission to kiss them before doing so? If you would have asked me this a few years ago, I probably would have had a different answer. But now I think that it actually is a good practice to get your love interest consent prior to making a like physical move. I think people's stance on this has a lot to do with what generation they're in. See, a few years ago, I would have said that someone should never ask permission before kissing someone. I would have said it was not romantic, not spontaneous, and would totally kill the mood. But when I think about it, I think the only reason that I said that is because of what I saw in movies and TV shows. And yes, it can be great, and I've experienced it. It can be great when you're both feeling the exact same thing and simultaneously act on it at the exact same time, but it can also be fucking terrifying because it's like you're a sitting duck. So now I think it actually might be a best practice to ask whoever you're interested in whether you have permission to kiss them. 
Like, it could be really cute. It could be hot. Like, if someone was like, um, hey, so I just want to know if it would be okay to kiss you. You know, not right now, but like at some time in the future. And then I would say, uh, yeah. Or fuck, maybe I would say, bitch, get the fuck out my face. Okay, well, let's just hypothetically say that I say yes. And then like 10 seconds go by and they look at me and they say, um, it's the future. And then we kiss. Okay, that would be a very cute movie scene idea. Did I just make that up or did I see that somewhere? Anyway, back to Hot Rod. Well, he's 40 years old. I looked it up. So as a Gen Xer, he probably subscribes to the spontaneous kiss lean-in and clearly doesn't ask permission. I was talking to my daughter about this exact same issue. I was saying that it's not like people just ask if they can kiss you. And she was like, yes, they do. So I'm guessing Gen Z has this kissing consent thing down. But the attack kissing method is not my biggest gripe with Hot Rod. It's that he decided that their first kiss should be after they've both had coffee and taken bite after bite of sandwiches. They probably have bread all up in their teeth and stanky coffee breath. Ugh, yuck. Poor Olivia. She was probably like, this food and beverage choice for sure means he won't kiss me. He might as well have brought out salmon, cream cheese, everything bagels with red onions and capers. A personal favorite of mine. And she's probably thinking, he's for sure not kissing me on this piss poor day date. Then boom, kiss attack. I bet Olivia would have appreciated a courtesy kissing request instead of Hot Rod's assumption. Let's be real, signals can be misread and sometimes men mistake niceness for affection. Just like Nate did to Keely and Ted Lasso when she took him shopping. They were having a great time shopping, Keely was helping Nate pick out a suit, helping him fix his tie, and then boom, kiss attack. I miss Ted Lasso. I'm so sad it's over. But I still have the morning show. Episode four aired and it was a good one. For any of my six listeners who are not watching the morning show, do yourself a favor and watch the morning show. Because this season of the morning show is like really, really, really fucking good. I wonder how much Apple Plus had to pay to use the Bee Gees song Staying Alive while Corey is walking into Upfronts. It's like he's walking the plank almost. Okay, Upfronts. I've heard this term used before in the Bravo world, most recently referenced on New York City Housewives when Aaron asked the girls to go to catch after they were at Upfronts and Bryn and Cy said they were tired and actually went to Cipriani. Is Cipriani? Oh, it's Cipriani. It's been confirmed by Julie and Brandy back when they hosted the Jeff Lewis Life After Show. God damn it, I'm still not over that. Confirmed by Brandy and Julie that Cipriani is absolutely outstanding. I have a second confirmation from my fantastic therapist, also named Brandy, that Cipriani is popping. So we got a Julie and two Brandys confirming that Cipriani is the shit. Anywho, upfronts. So, according to a Google search, Upfronts are an important annual event in North American television during which television executives meet with advertisers, critics, and the press to talk about their planned programming, planned programming for the next television season. So, this episode felt major. Um, Alex Levy further proves her worth and pulls more than her weight. 
Chris is holding the board's feet to the fire to address the pay inequity issues. Mia spoke fucking Russian, which was very attractive. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do whatever you say. She's working with some guy, Andre, who's like some undercover photographer. We find out that UBA is really on the verge of going under. And Stella and Corey are freaking tap dancing for ad execs so they can commit money to UBA. Stella takes these two douche lords out to a restaurant and they make it known that it will be a heavy drinking lunch and start ordering martinis. They go in on the martinis, ordering one after the other. And Stella is a tiny and petite woman and these guys seem to be trying to get her wasted. She she ordered a martini too and they were like, this'll be fun. Stella wins me over even further in this episode. She is all fucking in to match their drinking and starts selling her ass off and tries to lock the deal down, but the guys want to keep drinking before giving an answer. So, Stella's pull, so Stella pulls a smart move. She excuses herself from the table and goes to the bathroom. Then she goes to the bar and asks her waitress to give her water instead of gin and gives her a tip and tells her that the guys are impossible to keep up with. So apparently they all keep drinking and the guys notice that Stella isn't drunk but still matching their drinks. They catch on that Stella must be drinking water because she's totally fine and not drunk. They try to check Stella's drink and she pulls it back and some of it spills on the table. The waitress comes over to help with the spill and one of these guys say to the waitress that if she licks up the drink off the table, he will commit ad money to UBA. Stella asks them to leave the waitress out of it. The guy reaches for the credit card receipt and leaves a $20,000 tip. Stella looks at the waitress and says, run my card, I'm good for it. And then the fucking server bends down and licks up the water gin off the table like a fucking kitten. So fucking humiliating. Stella cries in the car on the way to Corey's party in the Hamptons, where literally everyone is to schmooze the ad execs for upfronts. So Stella locked down a deal and totally compromised her morals in the process. So Corey is basically fucked because friend Micklin is somehow back involved if Corey takes the loan, which is Corey's worst nightmare. And Stella just totally compromised herself to close the deal so Corey could get that loan. So the loan is now useless. So what Stella did was pointless. Corey tells Stella that the deal that she just closed didn't do shit for their insolvency situation because they are fucked if they take that loan. Stella needs to set some boundaries. Givers need to learn to set boundaries because takers have none. And that job keeps taken from Stella. So Corey just tells her this horrible news and that basically the part of her soul that was damaged was for nothing. And Stella is so fucking professional. She just stares Corey down and says that he should have clued her in so she didn't compromise herself for nothing. Lizzo's Truth Hurts starts playing. And Stella walks out of the party in slow motion like a fucking boss. Or like she's gonna murder Corey. Then a fucking helicopter comes flying right next to Corey's house, disrupting the whole swanky ad exec party. The chopper lands and fucking Alex Levy departs with none other than the fucking billionaire Paul Marks, ready to save the fucking day and save Corey from Fred.
poor Stella, though. It's like she did all that shit for nothing. And then just to learn that her ex-fucking boyfriend, Paul Marks, is most likely buying the company that she works for. Wow, I hope she has a therapist. We also saw Bradley and Laura rekindling their lesbian love. There's a scene where they are on the phone and Bradley and Laura are both news anchors at competing networks. So they basically have the same job at our competitors. And Bradley says to Lauren something to the effect of, Oh, I thought you all had your shit together over there at YDA. I don't even know if that's right. And then Laura says something like, we just make it seem like we have our shit together. I would like to thank the morning show for giving me this scene and this exceptional segue into my rich bitch tip of the week. Do not compare yourselves to other people because no one, and I mean no one, has their shit together all the time. And most people, like barely kind of, not so much, but really think they have their shit together. And that person that you're thinking of right now, saying to yourself, so-and-so for sure has their shit together. I'm here to tell you, no. No, they don't. Do not get fooled by appearances. Don't be in competition with other people. You need to be in competition with who you were yesterday. Well, who I was yesterday was a bitch who was crying about her goddamn internet. I mentioned earlier that I felt that I crushed my remote moving and set my internet installation appointment. And I did. I set the appointment on a certain day from 12 to 2. Well, 2.45 rolls around and I haven't heard shit from AT&T. The only reason I let it go that long was because I was so into the Jeff Lewis episode of Zach Noe Towers' show, Zach Noe Towers After Hours on Sirius XM. So I called AT&T and I was told that there was some external network problem that has put a hold on my installation. But what I was really upset about was that no one called to tell me. So I was just sitting here all fucking day waiting for the AT&T people to give me a call with no goddamn internet. I was very aggravated because I was not getting answers. I could tell that the woman on the phone was reading like prepared responses to my objections um, and to like deter me away from the fact that I was so pissed that no one had called me. She was like, have you done have you tried our Smart Hub app? It allows you to do X, Y, fucking Z. And I was like, no, I don't have fucking internet, so I don't have the fucking Smart Home app. And then I got off the phone and I cried a little. So I've been sitting my ass in Starbucks editing the podcast to get this shit out on time to my six listeners. I can't let y'all down. Apparently, NSYNC is reuniting, and honestly, I don't give a fuck. I cannot picture myself going to an NSYNC concert at my advanced age. I feel old as fuck and it's weird that bands who have peaked are now having comebacks. I don't like it. So when I was in New Orleans for Beyonce, I had something scary happen. I woke up Friday morning to go close my P.O. box because I was moving to Miami. And I saw a homeless man or an unhoused man. I'm not sure of the accepted vernacular. But when I left, there was a man sprawled out by the building. He had on shorts, but no shirt. And honestly, he looked kind of hot, but definitely a little disturbed. This is common in New Orleans, and so it didn't really bother me. 
When I got back from my errand, I did not see the man and I parked my car in front of the building. I started walking towards the door where I would have to enter a code to get into the building of my Airbnb. So I'm like 10 feet from the door to the building and I see the man from earlier walking towards me. And I don't rush because I don't want to seem scared, but I intently walk straight to the keypad. Now I'm nervous and I'm like shaking a little bit and I type in the wrong code and the man is getting closer and closer. I try the code again and it works. Thank fucking God. And I get into the building. I fucking exhale. And then I go through this like foyer area and through a swinging door towards my unit, which is on the same floor. Then I hear the man who is following me open the door to the building. I guess the code unlocks the door for a certain amount of time before locking again. Well, I started running to my unit, which is in the same hall. And there's another key code to get into my unit. And the man comes through the swinging door and I fucking freak out and I enter the wrong code to my unit. Y'all, this was like a fucking horror movie and honestly, really fucking scary. I like take a deep breath and tell myself just to calm down and enter the right fucking code. I enter the code correctly and get inside the unit and lock the door. So I take a deep breath and I tell myself enter the right fucking code. And so I enter the right fucking code, get inside the unit and lock the door. I was fucking shook, scared as fuck. And I was shaking. I was like physically shaking, Lisa Barlow. I texted the building about the guy and then like 10 minutes later, this fucking guy starts banging on my door. I started barricading that shit with furniture and called 911. I was supposed to stay in New Orleans another night, but I cut my trip short because of this. The only thing that I can interpret from the universe is that if I had any doubt about moving, it was cleared up by this incident. Let's have a palate cleanser. All right, New York City Housewives. Okay, newer episodes of New York Housewives. All right, Jessel is gorgeous. She and Pavitt do not seem to enjoy being parents. Like, talking about secret nannies and shit, I didn't like that. And they talk about their plans for their sex staycation. And Jessel, like, has this lingerie, and she looks fucking amazing. But I get, like, zero sexual chemistry between Jessel and Pavitt. Oh my God, and the way she awkwardly straddled him while getting ready for their staycation made me have major secondhand cringe. Jessel claimed later in the episode that they have sex on their sex staycation, but I have a hard time believing it. And then we see that they posted on their social media videos about their room and shit. Why the fuck do they have their phones out during their sexcation? There should be one thing on the agenda and one thing only. Jessel takes Sai to lunch and is 45 fucking minutes late, which is actually quite unacceptable. And in the lunch, the two are like comparing their trauma and how the two grew up. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but it never works out because honestly, everyone struggles regardless of their circumstance. Jessel tells Sai that she does not want to come across as trying to compare herself to Sai and then proceeds to compare her uncle's alcoholism to Sai's mom's alcoholism. I just think Jessel's trying to be relevant. Like, Sai brought this up about her mom like four episodes ago, and now Jessel's like, the thing you said about your mom's alcoholism is really resonating with me four episodes later. 
Ugh, God love her. There's also a scene where Jenna Lyons and Bran go to a gay bar. I want to go to a gay bar with Jenna Lyons, but I don't think I would want to go with Bran. I don't know. Maybe she's putting on for the camera a bit. I, it feels that way. I need to go to a gay bar in Miami. Let me know if y'all know of any gay bars in Miami I should go to. 504-224-9919. I did not care for the reunion looks that were released. Honestly, the only one that killed was Uba. She was wearing like a sheer white lace gown. She looked like a bride and someone should wife Uba right now. Jenna Lyons was in jeans, which is predictable, but different. Um, with a sheer top, no bra, blazer, and a tie. Okay, it's fine. Sai is just like, sigh. You just want to sigh. It's just underwhelming. She's in a gold, she's in a gold floor-length sparkling dress draped at the waist with sleeves that are tight but oversized and go far past her hands, and I didn't like that. Makeup looks flawless, though. Sai is gorgeous, but I need more from her. And for her to say that she's perfect and doesn't need to be healed is the biggest red flag that I've ever been slapped in the face with. Bitch, I have been in intensive therapy for over a year and I'm still fucked up. Didn't you hear episode four, Sai? Erin is in like a pink tweed mini dress. I love Erin, but this also does not hit for me. Y'all go watch Miami's last season reunion. Kiki's titty literally almost fell out. Well, I guess Jenna's titties are on the verge of peekaboo, but there's not as much of a wow factor. Jessel is in like a burnt gold lame dress with an asymmetrical cutout. Love her. She missed the mark. This ain't it. Bryn's dress is shocking, but not in a good way. It's a black velvet dress with a low neckline trimmed with white lace. And then there is this white heart detail in the middle. Nina Garcia from Project Runway would say that it's giving Junior. I'm also not a fan of the styling. I almost feel like it could be elevated if she put her hair up and removed the heart embellishment. I also don't know if it's the lighting, but I don't care for Bryn's makeup. Obviously, I'm being very, very, very nitpicky. These ladies are all gorgeous and very accomplished, but they are literally hiring stylists and makeup artists to serve their best looks. So don't get mad at me for saying that they have the potential to do better. Except Uba. Uba is perfection. Like, chef's kiss. Mm. Shannon Bedore is allegedly seriously considering and toying with the idea of maybe getting into infrequent, non-committal outpatient counseling following her DUI hit and run, for which the golden retriever Archie was a passenger victim. Um, does Archie already have representation? I'm not licensed in California, but I can prohawk in. I cannot believe that Archie is getting dragged into this mess. Justice for Archie. So I recently applied to be a professor at a law school in the Miami area. I totally did it on a whim and really didn't think it was going anywhere. Well, I received an email from the school asking me to apply for a different position. Well, this different position was a management position. So something like a little more challenging than solely being a professor. I definitely felt the weight of the challenge, but also felt that I am very capable of rising to the challenge. And the criteria for the position lined up perfectly with my experience. So I told myself that I would just go for it. I mean, really, what was the harm? The one thing standing in my way was like my own self-limiting belief that the position was somehow out of my league. 
I told y'all I'm not doing that shit anymore. I am not half-assing anything. I am from here on out giving y'all full fucking ass. So I applied for the management position and totally could see myself in the role. I started like visualizing how I would teach. I remembered how my law school professors and how fucking awesome they were. I loved law school. I met so many lifelong friends and Loyola was such an amazing school to attend. Expensive, but amazing. I love school generally. I love learning. One of my elementary school teachers once told me that every time you learn something, you get a new wrinkle in your brain. I have no idea if that's scientifically true, but every time I understood something, I envisioned a wrinkle forming in my brain. That's kind of weird, right? And even when I got to my law firm life, I loved helping other associates with their legal questions. I've been with several firms, and at all of them, I would be used as a resource for other people to bounce ideas off and to give advice. I love that shit. I love helping people grow and learn. It's like fucking rewarding. I also started visualizing my outfits that I would wear to lecture. And I looked real good in my visualization. I told myself to just forget about the position and that it would work out if it was supposed to. So I got to Miami Sunday and I received an email yesterday from the school letting me know that they were not moving forward with my application. Pause for reaction. So this one hurt. I really put myself mentally in the position and I really just knew I could fucking do the job. So this reminds me of another time where I was asked to apply for a position and I was not selected for it. Although this position was actually the role of Sally Bowles in the critically acclaimed iconic Broadway musical Cabaret. This was back when I was in college, I believe. While I was in college, I was heavy into theater. And as I explained last episode, I was not allowed into a sorority due to my beautiful angel child. And even though I didn't realize it at the time, my ass is going to thrive anywhere I go. So I auditioned for a play. I didn't get the role, but I started making friends and became part of like the theater community. I met some fantastically talented people. You know, last episode I said I hate social media, and now I'm going to say I love social media. I love social media for the pure fact that I can keep up with all the amazing people I've met over the years. I was in a few plays in musical while in college, and it was really fun. Oh my god, I'm wrong. This wasn't for Cabaret. This was for the role of Mimi and Rent. But for Cabaret, I did audition, and it was down to me and some other bitch who, believe it or not, was also fucking named Lindsay. I was robbed. Okay, so I did not audition for Rent, but was contacted by the director to come and audition for the role of Mimi. I sang out tonight. I auditioned, and I really have no gauge on how I did, but it must have not been that great because my ass did not get the role. I was fucking devastated and had a very emotional reaction. I remember crying and saying, like, I never get anything. Just once I want to get something. Poor baby. She only knew. So this professor position rejection email sort of reminded me of this. They both asked me to put my hat in the ring and they both passed. The difference is now I am much better equipped at dealing with rejection. And the universe sort of did me a solid and I got the rejection email like 10 minutes before my regularly scheduled therapy appointment. So I was able to process it with a professional. 
I got slightly emotional, but then laughed about the previous rent, audition, rejection, debacle. And I acknowledge that I'm handling this rejection much better than when I was robbed of the role of Mimi Marquez. You want to know what we call that? Growth. If I didn't get this job, then this job wasn't meant for me. It's as simple as that. Keep it cute. Keep it moving. I am disappointed I won't be helping shape the law school youths. I wish I would have had someone like me when I was in law school. Well, I've got about six listeners right now who will just have to fill that void. Thank you, bitches, for listening to episode five of The Rich Room. Hit me up with your questions, comments, and critiques at 504-224-9919. Follow me at Lindsay underscore Sobel and also follow at The Rich Room Podcast. Leave us five stars everywhere you can. Until next time.